Welcome to Descoped, the payment security podcast, the go-to show from VGS or fintech product builders and leaders. You're about to hear a conversation from experts in payments, issuing, and data security, sharing their best practices and real-world experiences. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome to Descoped. I'm Megan Powers. I am part of the awesome marketing team here at VGS. And as always, excited to bring you this show today. We're going to talk about pay facts. But more than that, we're going to talk with a really awesome industry guy and insider at VGS. Welcome to the show, Don Hartley from Squire and Travis Modersed from VGS. It's great to be here. Thanks. Yep. Great to be here. All right. All right. I'm going to read your bios and then we will dig in. Don Hartley has been in payments and fintech for 25 years and is a self-described payments nerd. He has worked worldwide from Europe to the Middle East to Southeast Asia. Don has created Mobile Wallets, the first payment processing app for iPhone, payment processing software, gateways, mobile processing solutions, neobanks, card issuances, POS hardware, and Payfact. He founded, built, and sold an ISO and payment software company between 2001 and 2007 and has built products for companies ranging from PayPal to JP Morgan to MoneyGram. Don's currently head of payments at Squire, a POS company, and lives off the coast of Georgia with his wife, five children, and a foul-tempered rabbit. And his wife is very excited about him starting to travel again after COVID. I think that's probably relatable to a lot of people, Don. (laughs) All right. And Travis. Travis is a senior solutions architect here at VGS. He helps larger customers de-scope their network from sensitive or toxic data. He lives in Edmonton, Canada with his wife, one-year-old, and two small dogs. Now, Travis, I have to confess, I almost... I, I always jokingly say Canada, and I almost just said it that way as I was reading that. Such a nerd. All right. So for those who don't know about Squire, very cool company. It's in a pretty niche space, though. And as a marketer, I am really interested in how y'all grow the brand. But for the purposes of our conversation today, let's start big picture in terms of Payfax. So, Dom, can you explain what a Payfax company is and, and maybe how it differs from other payment processing companies? Uh, sure, sure. I guess the, the best way to describe a Payfax is it allows a company to control the flow of funds between them themselves and their merchants, the partners, and the bank. So, there's someone inserting themselves in the payments flow. So, when you've got a Payfax, you're able to spin off uh, hosts of other products like payroll, merchant cash advances. And you also have the ability to, you know, fast fund merchants, expedite underwriting, uh, and still be compliant. And then it allows you to kind of build your own solution without having to be subject to what other groups offer is their product. So it's a great way to enhance the overall customer experience. Awesome. And actually, let's just give the two cents to whatever to about what Squire does. What do you guys do? Sure, sure. Uh, uh, Squire is a POS system that uh, specializes in the barber, salon, and beauty industries. And uh, we are currently in seven countries. And uh, I think we've got around 15 to 18% of the uh, U.S. market right now. 
awesome. Now, Don, you mentioned in the in the bio that you have experience building out an ISO. Mm-hmm. How does I'm just curious, how does an ISO differ from a payfac? Because I know that there's some crossover and I would love to get your perspective. Yeah, that's a, a great question. With an ISO, there are different levels of ISO. You can be a registered ISO where you're actually uh, pay the fees to the card associations and you own the merchant relationship, but the bank is the one that's that's actually doing the processing along with the processor itself. So you could be an ISO for first data or uh, WorldPay or you know, a spin the wheel of processors. With a payfac, you're inserting yourself into the flow of funds. You've actually got usually an FBO account on the back end uh, where all the funds are dumped into for all the merchants and a master ledger is used to, to manage all that. In the case of a ISO, you can think of it more of a uh, individual bank account that each merchant is set up with that they're responsible for. Whereas with the PayFAC, you've got one master merchant account or one giant bank account that allows for you to, to work and fund uh, in mass with all of your merchants. So it winds up being uh, usually a, a much more a streamlined way to set up merchants as well as, you know, control fraud and the experience and, and everything else. Yeah, really interesting. So that's that's really where you're stepping in and you're taking the money in and then you're funneling it to your to to the merchants as appropriate. That's correct. Right. Yeah. So we'll we'll tell and let's say somebody like Stripe uh, that would be administering the program on the back end to route X amount of dollars to the merchant's account when they request it, you know, minus fees. And then it uh, allows us to uh, spin off and do a whole host of other things with that. So we don't have to, in, in the case of a merchant account, the merchant is uh, receiving the funds you know, directly from the bank and the processor. And in, in the case for us, it's usually uh, pushed from one of our uh, FBO accounts to the, to the merchant for funding. Very, very cool. Very cool. Thanks for setting the groundwork for us. Travis, did you want to ask about getting certified with a large bank? Absolutely. I Now, I understand that you, you guys are, are really, like as part of that process of becoming a payfac, you had to become integrated into these into this large bank. Do you mind mm-hmm. talking about the, like how that process went and how you, first off, how you made the decision to, to go with that large bank and then mm-hmm. how, if there's any challenges that came up for that, that were interesting to you and that, that you had to work through? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I guess part of our selection process for that was, of course, what that particular merchant or that that bank offers, as well as, you know, the types of merchants. And of course, you know, the all important thing in the payments industry, the buy rate for these sorts of things. And you've got certain partners out there that are absolute cost leaders and have very, very little in the way of third party solutions that are integrated. And so you have to wind up building your own. Others come with almost a turnkey solution that tend to be a little bit more pricey because they've already built all the components that you're going to need. But, you know, it allows for faster implementation. So it's, it's kind of the, do you want to buy, you know, a house and, um, you know, from somebody like, you know, Adian and just walk right in? Or do you want someone uh, to just drop off, you know, 500 logs and some nails and some hammers in your front yard and you just have to build it yourself? And that's more of a JP Morgan path. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. And so you guys, to be clear, you you guys took the path of getting the hammers and the nails and actually constructing it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. We wanted something we could we could scale effectively. We've also got additional relationships with 
uh, with some of our back-end financial providers that uh, we were able to kind of layer uh, some of those services together to get kind of uh, optimal optimal pricing on. Awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. So was the goal with, uh, just to reiterate, the, the goal with going with, a, with that large bank is it allowed you to tack on all these other vendors so that you weren't locked into that that quick solution. You, you could actually scale like as a product shifted, as a market shifted, you could scale with it? Yeah, the, you've got certain solutions like Stripe that's a fantastic solution we use for a large portion of our, our back end. And it's very you know turnkey. But since you're not controlling the flow of funds as much uh, in the Stripe and you don't have the organic in, insight into the data with Stripe as you would you know having your own proprietary pay fact, it uh, allows you to build a lot more solutions. Whereas with Stripe, you're more or less kind of forced to resell or embed solutions that Stripe has has implemented. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can either resell their solutions or you can kind of build your own. And it's a heavy lift, no doubt. And there's a lot of regulatory stuff around it. But if you want the the margins and the developmental freedom, it's a good way to go. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So we continue to see large companies, small companies, companies of all sizes having breaches of their customers' data. Most recently this week, a couple examples, Uber's law firm breached data on Manulife, one of Canada's largest financial services companies, just this past week and may have been internal, you know, but still a breach is a breach. So kind of proves the need for securing this data, right? As these things keep coming up. So Don, I'd like to hear from you, like what measures uh, do PayFat companies take in order to ensure that the safety of their customers' data? Uh, sure. Uh, great question. And for that one, it's going to be using things like a PCI Level 1 certification or PCI Level 1 SP service provider level uh, certification where you make sure that you've got the structural uh, framework in place to, to have a secure network, you know, making sure that there's no data that's at rest, that's unencrypted, using services like VGS uh, to do a, a shout out to, to Travis for, you know, tokenization and uh, data encryption and management solutions where you can offload some of that liability and lift, as well as, you know, going out and um, making sure that, you know, everything from your ports are closed, you've got a secure network to making sure that if you're doing like an active-active network system that your multiple data centers are uh, spun up and, and secure as well. And then with the security issues, having, you know, something like Cloudflare, on the front end is, is always a popular one. But one of the big things is just making sure that when the data, uh, when they come after the data, that even if something happens, that there's nothing that they can do with it. Uh, you know, it's just an encrypted jumble for them uh, in case something does happen. But um, also training your people uh, and making sure that not only your your employees, but your customers are savvy to, to how to properly manage and maintain a, a secure network and a safe processing environment. Was that a little too much? <laughs> no, that was great. I just was wondering. I just was waiting to see if Travis had any any follow on. Oh, I well, that's really interesting. And how much would you say the importance of data security versus training your people? Do you mind going into that a bit more? Like how you guys prioritize both of those different things? Sure, you got to have a combination of the both because if you know someone is is not savvy, then biohacking is going to work. You know, even if. You can talk to somebody and encrypt the data, but if they can just email somebody and they give up the keys, you know, that's, that's an issue right there. You know, so constant training, making sure that folks are uh, familiar with the network, familiar with the policies, procedures, proper data security, and also making sure that you've got everything from 
two-factor authentication to secure and heavy passwords in your uh, login environment to making sure that uh, you're even compliant with the varying security regulations on a country-by-country basis. So like if you go to someplace like Vietnam, you have to have copy of all the data that you process in Vietnam in Vietnam, you know, as opposed to uh, some of these other countries where you can process from anywhere. So it's, it's a regulatory question along with the, the security aspects of it. Uh, and then training your folks, just having videos, having, you know, onboarding training, don't write a credit card down it and, you know, stick it on your uh, monitor where everybody can see kind of thing. So it's, it's a layered approach. If I can quote Shrek, it's like an onion. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's, that's very insightful. And I just watched Shrek the other day, funny enough. So it's very appropriate for me. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, and the word onions keeps coming up, but I think feel like it's in reference though, to people like, oh, somebody peeling onions. <laughs> different, different reference. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned PCI uh, compliance. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a big need and pain point Mm -hmm. of all this. And some companies would just rather not do it themselves. So did I hear you right that you you all are doing that yourselves? Yeah, we of course, we had a a PCI auditor to do our our, our actual ROC and AOC. And uh, I would say we did a a PCI level one SP last year, and we've done some changes to our networks. We're thinking we're going to you know, have some changes to uh, which PCI level we, we certify to. Uh, but it's a very, you know, key thing and, and everybody kind of requires it. It's your your key to get into the golden uh, banking system on the back end because no one wants to uh, connect their systems to an insecure network. Yeah, of course. Now, how much would you say in, in your company, do you balance the needs of the customers with the needs for the government regula- regulations and like getting into the compliance? How does that work out? When you're talking about like, is it the chicken or the egg? That's, I guess, what I'm asking. It is is both simultaneously. <laughs> I have a regulatory and compliance specialist that I've worked with at three jobs. And her, literally, her on her job description, it says, uh, keep Dawn out of jail. <laughs> and make sure that I don't do anything silly or, or non-compliant or anything like that. So she's doing great. Yeah, so I've been in this a business. I have not once had to go to jail. So that's the big win for her. That's a good record. Yeah, it's it's yeah. She got she got the max raise that year. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a combination. You would want to make sure that you have a, a good customer experience. Now there is a point where you can be ultra ultra secure. You know, think a paranoid NSA agent level. We want that's usually not conducive to a good customer experience, but they're very secure. So there's a usually a, a golden mean in there uh, that is both secure, you know, to block the vast majority of of any incursions or or attempts, as well as making it a a good uh, experience for the customer and the merchant. Yes. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Trying to balance, and that's kind of what I was wondering, where you're trying to balance the user experience so that your customer interacts well, but then you're always trying to defend that in the background. Mm -hmm. And now you're going into that next, you were talking about that golden, the golden key into the, the next level of the banking systems. Do you mind talking a bit about that? Like what, what the lift is from the different level of certifications? Sure, sure. When you first start off, it's going to, they're going to be looking for certain things. They're going to do an audit, make sure that you're a, a viable company, that you've got the reserves to you know, cover any transactions that are bad. They're going to want to look at your prior transaction history. Most folks don't jump right into being a pay fact. That's kind of like saying, I want to learn to fly, so I'm going to start off with 747s. 
you want to maybe a, a mail order drone we'll start off with and then ramp up from there but in the case of the the payfax usually it's it's folks that are that are uh, growing and have a need for that you'll have to find a, a bank sponsor you want to have your regulatory card registrations in place so there are a lot of expenses uh, not just from an audit registration and regulatory perspective but you've also got the you know the system that you need to certify with as well and then layer that on with you know, doing EMV transactions the whole nest of of craziness that is an EMV certification at a hardware level uh, that you have to go through you know the hundreds of tests with Visa MasterCard American Express and Discover uh, you know, to get like a you know, kernel certification on, on a piece of hardware. So it's really a lot to it and a lot of moving parts. And any one of those items would prevent you from having a well-functioning solution if you're missing just one. Yeah, yeah. So you need to be thinking about all of all of those different compliances mm-hmm. in order to be able to ship. And now, did you guys, for Squire, did you ship as a payfac right away? Like, did you jump right to the 747 model or did you stick with the, <laughs> with the, with the drone? We started off with a, uh, let's call it a Piper Cub and went from there to more the, the 727 model on that one. So we had a, a, um, a fast start with Stripe. And if, you know, since then, we've uh, gone to their custom connect platform, uh, which gives us a little bit more flexibility in there. But I, I would say it was a, you know, pretty strand, a pretty standard uh, go forward on that one. We grew into having our own payback. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the industry at large. There's a lot of innovation going on in payments and fintech right now. So Don, I'd love it. Um, and then of course, Travis, um, if you have thoughts as well as a follow-on, can you talk about any recent innovations in payment technology that you're excited about and or maybe what issues you think that they're aimed at solving? For me or Travis on that one? You first. Oh, good. And okay. Then, and then, uh, yeah. FedNow. Yeah. Man, I am so excited about FedNow. We are finally getting an honest, real-time processing solutions. All these things we've had to design around due to the 1968 level of technology packed in the back end of most banks. You know, things like Zelle, where you've got like operational accounts running cash to do you know, simulated instant funding. We're actually going to real instant real-time funding now. And that's going to be huge because it's going to be a massive cost savings. There's going to be less uh, interbank liability. When you've got real-time clearing, people aren't going to have to sit on funds anymore because the funds will have already cleared by the time they land. So it's going to wind up being a a massive cost savings for a lot of the back-end that folks have had to build out for that no longer have to be supported. So you don't have to have all those slush funds in an operational account to, you know, to front funds for immediate funding anymore. It's just going to go straight to an immediate funding. And there's not going to be as much transactional fraud at the banking level because we can see that, tran- that the transaction is cleared and funds have been moved and recognized immediately and not you know four or five days later. So... Yeah, there's a, there was a little kerfuffle on the Twitter in the last day or so about FedNow. Now I wish I had I had read more deeply into it. But how long do you think it's going to take for this to actually become a reality? Uh, well, I think FedNow slotted to release in July of this year. Currently, I would say you know if it if it goes over, government will ship on time. Surely the government will ship on time. <laughs> well, I mean it was supposed to come out in 1983, so that's actually tracking pretty well for them. So with 
we have with the Fed now coming out in July, that's going to be a big one. They're doing it in phases. And I think once those things open up and they've got an API that all these fintechs can start programming into, there's going to be a, an explosion of innovation that folks can code to. And I think probably one of the folks that will get hit hardest are maybe either the debit networks, the card networks on this one, because the instantaneous funding of debit networks and credit cards has been the, you know, the driving force, you know, because they can get their money so much quicker, usually than, you know, say just taking a check and it clearing a, an account, you know, a week or two later. And a lot of times it could be a next day or the day after, or in some cases, instant if they're doing like a push to card. But with the Fed now stuff, it's all instantaneous. So there's no need to use those unless you're working through like a line of credit, you know, like a, an actual credit card that you're going to do like a net 30 on. Everything else, you know, you can roll that into, you know, NFC, QR code transactions, you know, with a Fed now integration. Uh, and I think there's a huge opportunity in that. Hmm. Very cool. Now, Travis, what do you think? Well, Don, on that, on the whole Fed now piece, I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on how it's going to affect fraud and how, mm-hmm. uh, like that end user fraud and how I know with uh, with COVID, I think I read a report where fraud has increased exponentially with mm-hmm. all the online payments going on. Mm-hmm. How do you think Fed now is going to a help with that, or how are other systems going to be able to come in and help with it? Yeah, I don't think you'll 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 have a different type of fraud coming through now from what it looks like. You know, of course, they haven't gone live. So as far as what they actually push to production, I'm excited to see that. But I would say in the case of the Fed now fraud, it would probably be account takeovers would be more concerning where you could clear out a bank account fairly quickly on those as opposed to how it currently is where folks may you know, write a check or do something. They're not maybe using Plaid to check balances, whatever the case is. So folks are sending out goods or services prior to funds clearing on their account. Then if it winds up being, you know, a, a bad transaction, they're they're on the hook for it. As opposed to with the FedNow stuff, you just wouldn't provide the services if it was declined at the time of purchase. So I, I think you're you're going to be facing more credit card type risk where you've got account takeovers or people misrepresenting who the the account holder is as opposed to the service and product fraud and theft. Mm -hmm. Which makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure that as that type of fraud increases, different different people will 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 be popping up trying to trying to help with it. And that leads us actually to my to my second favorite thing coming up, the new AI that's hitting the market right now with things like, you know, chat GPT and the open AI platforms and just the innovation coming out around that. So we're going to see AI both wearing the white and black hats in this this one. So we're going to see AI tracking fraud, looking at fraud, doing analysis on customers who are likely to commit fraud. In the same breath, you're going to turn around and, and have the bad guys who are using, let's call it unwalled AIs. Without the walls, uh, you're going to see a lot of AIs. And I think you're going to see some weird stuff coming out too around that in that you can take an AI and just kind of turn it loose with some general guidelines. And so you can say something like, make money, you know, and it'll look and say, oh, well, Bitcoin fraud seems to make a lot of money. So I'm just going to run Bitcoin fraud. And this could be the AI thinking, you know, how are you going to prosecute an AI? 
Mm-hmm. You know, there are legal ramifications around here. What happens when your AI does something illegal? Who's liable? Is it the program or the company, the victim, no one? Do you confiscate the server and throw it in a closet? You know, there's <laughs> weird stuff you gotta, we gotta kind of well, think about now around that. So you've got AIs working for the bad guys trying to hack in where you can go through and you can scan people's like social media accounts, create customized biohack emails. Like, hey, you know, this is Dave, you know, you're a longtime teenage friend, send me your password. And, and, you know, they could, you know, create these custom, and and it's not just an individual one. Like right now, you'll have an individual hacker do and create kind of like a custom biohack email uh, attempt. But with AI, when you unleash it across social media, you can set the rules and configure it so that it is generating thousands and thousands of customized emails to these targets to shoot it out. Yeah. Uh, and each one honestly feels like it's addressed to you from a friend. And all of that can be automated, you know, through, you know, through the, through the AI. And it's wonderful, exciting, and terrifying all at the same time. So, and I have no doubt we're going to see AI with, you know, Fed now and then an evil AI uh, turning around and trying to hack into Fed now, <laughs> you know, uh, password protection breaks and all kind of fun things. So there's it. It's getting to be fun again. Something I haven't seen since the mobile uh, outbreak on commerce. But I would say in the next two years, it's it's going to be a little bit of a fun roller coaster we get to play with. Yeah, no, th- and th- that's a great attitude. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting like next five, ten years with this AI stuff. Mm-hmm. I always wonder if it's going to be like in the early two thousands when you would go on. And you would see all the pop-ups coming up on on their browser. Mm-hmm. But uh, what if every one of those pop-ups was personalized for you? Mm-hmm. And uh, like that's the kind of things that that we'll have to start fighting. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, it's some fun stuff. I think that's that's the unknown is what often makes it so much fun. And then the the innovation that we can create in that chaotic kind of environment. So good stuff. Uh-huh. We shall see. Well, this has been a great conversation. We have one um, standing question that we like to ask all of our guests. Mm -hmm. And that is, Don, who's a person or a company that you're following that you think is making waves in fintech or in payments? Mm. Well, right now, the Federal Reserve, they seem to have, uh, you know, running running my uh, my top uh, disruptor technology uh, right now. Uh, That'll be coming out in, in July. I think I've seen some really interesting stuff with uh, both Apple and uh, folks like Stripe. Stripe makes a lot of new payment devices and vehicles, very easy to implement, and they've done a, a real good job. And I think they've switched from a hyper-growth model to more of a profitability model. And so they're, they're focusing more on the innovation and ease uh, as opposed to their, their everything under the sun uh, approach to it. So those are probably my my top two. And then of course, open AI uh, project is impressive to, to say the least on, on to what our imagines, imaginations allow us to do after seeing something like that. Yeah. It's pretty magical to some of the stuff I've seen AI do. It's, it's, it's wild. Travis, do you have one? I think I would actually jump on what, what Don said with the, with the AI changes. I think that that's going to, to really open up new possibilities over the, coming, over the coming years. I'm watching that pretty closely and very excited to see what's coming down. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for this convo. This has been really fun. And if you are listening and you enjoyed this conversation, we'll have a way to get a hold of Don in the show notes, but also share it out. 
We love your feedback as well. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about in future episodes. All right. This has been another episode of Descoped and we will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Descoped, the payment security podcast from VGS. For more insights, practical advice, and the latest trends in payment security, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or check us out at verygoodsecurity.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.